body within the body, feelings within feeling, that is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant, feeling tone at all six senses. So bodily sensations and senses, happy, unhappy, mind states. It's natural phenomena. It's part of who we are. So we're looking exactly uh, at our, the immediacy of our experience. What's true? So body sensations, felt experience, feelings, also true felt experience. Uh, chitta, heart, mind, in all of its formations, expanded, contracted, uh, anxious, concentrated, multitude of thoughts, uh, and then all the way down to refined awareness of awareness that is tuning into the knowing mind itself. That is all other. What is known is in the background, and the knowing we come to know directly, anchored in that, in, in knowing itself. And then finally, uh, all other phenomena, all other psychophysical phenomena, uh, and the senses, the sense fields. So then it's complete, our six sense door awareness. Looking at this experience is the, the second factor of awakening, dhammavachya. That's the investigation of phenomena, investigation of physical, mental natures as they come up. A non-conceptual, um, direct feeling, sensing investigation. So we're right away learning how, how to look, like what approach is helpful, what approach is hindering. So another way to describe it is that dhammavacca not only means investigation of phenomena, but it's a wisdom. We're practicing wisdom. We're discerning what's skillful, what's unskillful. What path leads to further opening and refinement Uh, uh, insight and awakening and what won't, what's counterproductive, what continues to build concepts of ourselves rather than reveal the nature of ourselves. We've, We've spoken already pretty much at length of what constitutes unique nature, what constitutes universal nature. You know, so for example, understanding the textures of the body, smooth, hard, rough, um, grainy, silky, understanding that elemental nature, as well as the variations of heat, cool, cold, hot, uh, and as you notice, as you notice, we can't always control that. That even though, um, you know, even though the external temperature may be fairly constant, although here it's not so much. 
temperature can change because of cause and effect. So how we are how we are looking at our experience or what states we might be caught up in or you know just the coolness of mind at times uh, the effect that has on physical formations and other mind states uh, when we're angry when we're confused all those affect the variations of temperature and one of the reasons why we emphasize a body-based awareness so much is that the body never lies it can tell us often that there is an emotion before awareness really tunes into it. And to trust that, trust the body, because sometimes, uh, as I've said, the particular mind state or emotion might be vague or um, confusing or disorienting even. But that's just the way it is. Just the way that particular emotion is, so we don't need to work on making it any any different. Study the sensations, investigate the sensations. If the sensations also reflect that vagueness or lack of clarity, or a confusing or tight mass, then that's what it is. That's going to reflect the particular quality of emotion or mind state that you might be experiencing at that time. And likewise, the unique qualities of the mental states, emotions that, that arise. Again, it's not in our control. We come here and we just determine to be present. That's our only task, to be in the present moment. When I arrived at the Mahasi Center uh, for, uh, a long, for a long period of practice as a monk, the first thing Sayadaw Upandita said was, your only task is to be in the present moment. I'll take care of everything else. I just totally trusted him. And I I was taken care of, fed and housed and clothed, you know, the robes are offered. No concerns. And really that was the only, only task. It's very simple, extremely difficult to be in the present moment and sustain that present time awareness. So, but that's what we do, and then we start to recognize, and uh, the practice itself reveals many variations of mental states and emotions, and they have all their unique natures. Some are sharp, hard. Some are soft, gentle. Some seem to open the body, open the mind, lift us up. They're light, delightful. Um, And some are oppressive, intense, contracting. They're just what they are, uh, and our job is to notice them. Try to see them as a formation, like a mental sensation. Try to see their arising. If we don't see that, try to see their existence, momentary existence. And if we miss that, try to see their endings. And if we miss that, which we usually do, then recognize that we miss that. (laughs) It's true. If you ever use the labeling, it would be like forgetfulness. Or if you suddenly remember 
something that just happened, remembering. So we're not going back. We're still attuned to this very moment. But we're recognizing that mind was forgetful. When we do that in walking, that's really useful too. Take a few steps uh, and realize that we have been gone a million miles away. Uh, And then, oh, okay, forgetfulness or remembering. You can back up, but you're not going to really back up in time. (laughs) I took a few steps back once as if you could do that, but it's just always new. We never experience the same thing twice ever, not in the body, not in the eyes, not in emotion, emotional world, nowhere at no time are any two moments the same, any two sensations, any two thoughts, and sights, and sounds. It's always a fresh start in that sense. In addition to that focusing in and feeling those fleeting, unique moments of body, mind, senses, visual sound bites, etc., we start to, by now, at times at least, the awareness becomes more global uh, and more broad and begins to feel the flow of everything. In fact, the particulars sometimes speed up so much, as we were talking, I think, yesterday, that, that they can't be discerned. No matter how, try, how hard we try to discern or investigate, that it's too busy or too fast or too much or too overwhelming. Sometimes we sit and we're not even sure what's a sensation, what's a sound, what's a thought. It's just broom, 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 you know, just phenomena coming and going, coming and going. That's when we sort of step back and open the heart wider and a more global mind awareness and feel the flow nature of everything. It's called anicca, the impermanent nature, that the whole universe is in constant flux. Nothing remains the same for two moments in in a row. So, yes, sometimes we'll have that reflection, and it's not that it's not useful. We don't want to just keep reflecting. We actually want to feel that movement, that motion, that flow, that flux. We want to sense it in the body, even en masse, you know, like a whole river of body sensations. And the mind, just a stream, constant stream of mental states, thoughts, images, remembrances, consciousness itself, which is the most refined experience that we can attune to. Very, very quick mind moments of hardly aware. We can't catch one mind moment. It's impossible. It's already gone as soon as we see it anyway. Mostly we're just seeing you know, the tail of the comet, so to speak. So we might as well just relax, right? We're never going to catch anything. <laughs> all just falling over. It's like our awareness is this um, mist at the lip of a waterfall. The mist is created, of course, by the, the water itself. And we can sense, see, feel the approaching river. Uh, and then suddenly feel it drop away. 
and always this mist continues to change. This mist of mindfulness is itself continually changing. But it's as if it can, it's all part of what's coming, what's flowing, and what's vanishing into nothing. Just like that. So it's like our awareness is at the lip, the waterfall of experience all the time. And that mist, it's not in a hurry. It's renewed all the time. It's just there. It's relaxed. It's disappearing too, but then there's new little mist vapors. It's just, it's catching, catching all of that. It gets a little scary at times, the speed with which things are changing. We have, um, it's not innate to our nature, but it's like this uh, inherent like fear of annihilation. Because somewhere deep in our bones, we, we sense this change. We sense that there's nothing really there. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing solid. So this investigation also starts tuning in to these natures. Not, not only do they arise and pass, but exactly because they arise and pass so quickly, they are insecure. They are unstable. They are, un, they are unreliable as any real sense of security. We do all kinds of, we have all kinds of strategies to have a temporary sense of security. You know, what's familiar to us are all our little collection, a collection of all of our little attachments that give us some sense of ourselves. Everything from, you know, our feral cats to our refrigerator to, you know, the pictures on the wall, our books, and we kind of look around, oh yeah, everything is kind of there, you know, so I must be here. We might not think quite like that, but you know, we'd be really confused if we walked into our place, so to speak, and it wasn't it wasn't there. <laughs> well, that's what it's like to inhabit the body, inhabit emotions, inhabit our thoughts, because as we start to feel what they're really doing, you know, we want to grab onto something. And only as we start trusting this practice and really trusting our own wisdom inside, our Dhamma within, do we have mo- begin to have moments where we feel secure. Why? Because we trust what's true. Ultimately, we want the truth. Even if it's painful, we want truth. That's, that's our innate urge. Just as we long for love, uh, to love and be loved, we also long for a liberating wisdom. So as painful as it can be at times, that's what keeps us going. And that's what keeps us kind of willing to risk the unknown and almost lose the sense of ourselves. The, the kinds of fear that can come up sometimes, definitely they're rooted in aversion, ill will, the unhealthy psychological root of of hatred. But at this point of practice, the kind of fear that we might be feeling is what Mahasi Sayadaw called a dhamma fear, a healthy fear. 
It's like the other night I was talking about healthy uh, sorrow, healthy grief, because we're seeing the truth. And, and the truth isn't particularly comfortable. <laughs> you know, it doesn't... Uh, at first, it's not that great a news. You know? It's like Michelle quoted the Tibetan, the late Tibetan teacher, Chogyam Trumpka Rinpoche, I think, last night. And let's see if I can remember one of his quotes, too. He said, uh, I think he said something like, we're all falling. We're all free-falling. Nothing to hold on to. No parachute. But then we realize there's no ground. That's the truth. We need a lot of courage, and that's the next bojanga, the wiriya bojanga, courageous energy, the, the, the quality of awakening of courage and balanced effort, courageous energy and effort. We, we had it to begin with to some degree, or we wouldn't be here. And it, it's what helps us sustain, it helps us establish the kind of limitations and reduce circumstances that, that create a safe boundary, a safe container. You know, we all give up a little bit. We're all renunciates here. We're all nuns and monks when we're on retreat. And that's how we start to feel safe. We're trying to create a peaceful awake and energy for the sake of ourselves and everyone else here. Uh, so to do that, to be willing to uh, surrender to those reduced circumstances and limitation. You know, even though, sure, we want to break out of them at times, but we start, that's how we start to feel protected and start to trust the Dhamma. And this courage comes up, this wiriya, this incredible good energy that's powerfully liberating. It can't be used destructively. So as long as it's wiriya, we're not going to strive or overstrive or drive or you know try and nail the moment and we're not going to lean too far away either that when the virya is up it's it's working just to meet each moment as it is not striving not driven not goal oriented and also try not to miss too much you know keep coming back to center <clears throat> When we bend too far forward, we, we tighten, we push, we catch that. It's not the virya. Investigation catches that, brings it back. It allows us then to, to fully, fully face what's happening. Well, no matter what goes on. You know, yeah, sometimes it's too much and we need to resource somehow. We need to look at light. We need an interview. We need just need some, a nature walk. We need to be by the sea. All the ways that we resource, the Brahma Viharas, loving kindness, and so forth. Caring, calling up that caring. When we can, we, we, it's like turning our body completely. 
it's said that elephants do that when attention calls them. They, com- they completely turn their bodies to face what it is, a sound or a scent or an intuition, to face that. It said that, in the text, it said that elephants and arahants do that. Arahants are fully enlightened beings. But it's also true that very mindful yogis do that. I first noticed that Upandita always did that. I walk into his cottage and, you know, you just, you make a <clears throat> type sound when you approach a monk. You don't knock on the door and say, hi, I'm here, can I come in? Just, you're quiet, you're quiet, but then you make some sound to make it known you're around, and then you, you, you go in. If it's not appropriate, you'll, you'll get that signal somehow. But when Sayadaw would hear that, and he may be looking at a book or you know, face in another direction, he wouldn't turn his head. He'd turn his whole body. That fully facing presence is exactly what we're learning to do with this courageous energy. To fully face when we can, when we have the strength, and when we feel protected by the reduced circumstances and limitations, and feel what's there. If not, we're more liable to, to try and think it into understanding, or think it away, or think it into repression. And, and thinking is always separating. You know, Thinking is useful at times, especially wise reflection, but thinking as a constant and continuous way of, of not fully facing experience is a way to keep that experience constantly at bay. Whereas this feeling awareness unites. It brings awareness or investigative awareness with this courageous energy uh, face to face with whatever's going on. Feel that pain. Feel that grief. Feel that sorrow. Feel that loneliness. Just as it is. We're only asking of ourselves a a few a few mind moments at a time. Then if we, if we have to turn, we do. We can turn away and face something else. And if we really need to, we can shut down. But as we find safe resources, you know, how to be mindful of something neutral, like sky, blue, moon, uh, loving kindness, and so forth, we don't have to shut down. We just go anchor in that resource. Then when we're able to, we return to that dhamma pain or karmic knot of grief, of loneliness, fear, insecurity, anxiety. This is our work. And also, sometimes it can feel overwhelming to be with joy. That's the next that's the next quality of awakening. Piti. Piti is essential for our practice to lift the body, lift the mind, saturate ourselves in, in the pleasant feeling, take further steps on the path. We can't do it without this non-sensual joy. 
it can be really amped up at times. It can be too much. And, and, and we fully facing it at that time <coughs> may not work so well. It's like, it's like the electricity keeps going up and up. Uh, so we need to at least recognize that it's there and begin to learn how to call up the rest of the uh, awakening factors like calm, concentration, and equanimity. When if, if the investigation is out of balance, it becomes intellectual. And we're trying to keep reflecting and, and making some um, conceptual sense of our experience. And also, without the calm, concentration, equanimity, energy is going to be misused. We're going to, you know, we usually err on the side of pushing too hard. So we try to encourage our students to relax and lean back in the moment, ease up, soften, be really gentle, a kind approach to practice, affectionate awareness, compassionate awareness, joyous awareness, because we're liable to push more likely that than, than uh, slack off. So here's where they all come into balance. And mindfulness is regulating them all. Mindfulness is helping bring up the necessary uh, tranquility when we're amped up too much. The en- energy is too high and our, the joy factor you know, might be clinging to it or just overwhelmed by it. We can't help it. It's part of the how the practice unfolds. And we reach that place within where it's just released. It's a quality we already have, and maybe we're undernourished. Most, most of us are undernourished with this piti. So it does sense, it's like trying to drink water from a fire hose, and you know, just get blasted at times. The, the PT helps lighten, lighten up the space so we can carefully 